Hey, give yourselves a hand for getting out of bed this morning. You got out of bed today, and you know what? It required a sit-up for you to get out of bed, so you got some fitness in your life today. So give yourselves a hand for that. Yay, fitness. Uh, I'm so glad you're here this morning. Today is a very special day. Of course, you already know that. That's why many of you are here today. And I just want to say again, uh, from my heart to yours, thank you so much for being here. It's not uh, taken lightly that you have chosen to be a part of us today. Uh, you've shared your day with us, and so uh, we've done our best to prepare for you. We've done our best to give you something that you can talk about later. Like, we want you to talk about this experience, even if it's bad. Hopefully it won't be. That was definitely a bad joke, I'll tell you that. Um, but before I get started with this morning, I want to talk just real briefly about how I see God working around us. Um, and I realize that that's kind of crazy to say. This, this man up on the stage thinks that he sees God working around us. I realize how crazy that sounds. But I'm kind of crazy. Just hang out with me a little while and you'll find out. But, yeah, hey, yay, yay crazy. My fellow crazies up there. Um, but I see God working all the time. And... This last couple weeks, I've, I've recently heard a few people in, in our church um, talking about just being anxious and, and struggling with anxiety, and, and, and that's normal. Like, like, there was more than one person that I heard talking about being anxious, and so I started thinking, you know, I should probably speak about anxiety. Like, like we believe in, in talking about things that pertain to life, like, like if... If we don't talk about anything that helps you with your life, then I've wasted your time. And I'm not willing to waste your time because my mama raised me to be a gentleman. And so I started thinking about maybe we should start, maybe we should talk about anxiety. And um, every, every September I sit down with my calendar and I start to plan out the series that we're going to talk about. And so I realized that if I was going to talk about anxiety, I was probably going to have to uh, go back on my calendar and replan everything, <laughs> except God already had it planned. And so this next series that I planned way back in September is called The Counselor. And if it's anxiety, if it's depression, if it's anything that, that we struggle with in life, I believe with all of my heart that God is the answer that he is the only counselor that we need to help us with it. And so we're going to talk about that for the next four weeks next Sunday. But I just want to let you guys know what we're going to be talking about. And maybe, just maybe, you know someone that's crazy. <laughs> right? Maybe you know someone that's crazy that you can invite and you say, Hey, you should go to this church. Or maybe you just get up tomorrow morning, you look yourself in the mirror and you say, I should probably go to that church. That one was funnier than the last one. That's great. I'll, I'll get warmed up going on. So today is Easter Sunday. And uh, as, we, as we planned for, for today, uh, we did like so many uh, church teams across the world. Like over the entire world, so many church teams planned themes for the day. And they planned things that would take place. And so uh, our team got together with... With, with us, and, and we started talking about what we wanted to do, and 
so we chose this theme of, of welcome home this morning. And so, so my wife, my wife does a lot of the, the graphics for our church. Let's be honest, my wife does a lot of things for our church. Like, it wouldn't be done without her. Give her a hand. Hey, babe, I just want you to know they could never cheer loud enough for what you deserve, just so you know that. Um, seriously, I mean that. And um, as she did the, the, the graphic for our welcome home uh, theme today, she, uh, she, she posted it on a, on a creative website and just kind of got some people's feedback on it. And one of the, one of the person's feedback, she got a lot of feedback, a lot of good feedback. Um, she got some not so good feedback because they didn't like what we were doing, so they can just, you know, uh, anyway. Um, but this feedback that she got, she, someone said, the graphic is great, but the theme, I'm not just so, I'm not so sure about the theme. Like, it's kind of played out in churches. And I said to my wife, I said, little do they know that we live in New England where, number one, there's not many churches. Number two, there's not many churches talking about being welcomed home. And so uh, we're going to roll with it. And I'm going to roll with it so much that we're going to talk for the next 30 minutes or so. Uh, those of you that are normal attenders, you're like, okay. Um, we're going to do our best to talk for 30 minutes about, about welcome home. So if you, if you would, just do, do me a quick favor. Let me, let me go to God and ask him for help with this, and then we'll, uh, we'll be, be on our way. God, thank you so much for this morning, again, for every person that's here. Lord, I, I pray right now for the specific reason that I need you. God, I can't do this. This isn't, this isn't me. This is you. This is you speaking through me. And so, God, I, I just invite you to take over my, my body, my tongue, my mind. God, I ask that when people leave here today, that they would say that they had heard from God. It's in Jesus' name I pray. So, my friends that, are, that, that come to church here, they, they know that one of my favorite Bible stories is a story known as the prodigal son. And uh, as we started thinking about Easter, you know, I, I know it's kind of edgy to not really talk about the resurrection of Jesus on Easter. Like, like that's why we're here today. That's what we celebrate. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, and that we will get to. However, I want to focus our time on this story that Jesus told, known as the prodigal son, and here's why. Because I believe that if Jesus were alive today, that Jesus would be speaking this message. Because he's the one that spoke it 2,000 years ago. He's the one that spoke it in the Bible. This is, this is Jesus' story, and it's the story of the gospel. I can't think of a better way to tell you the good news of God other than to use the words of God himself. So we're going to look at one of my favorite Bible stories known as the parable of the prodigal son. Our big idea today is that there is no better place to be than home. You didn't know that the Wizard of Oz was a theologian, right? There's no place like home. There's no place like home. 
In the book of Luke, chapter 15, verse 11 through 32, that's where we find our story. And if, if you're new here, you, you may not know that we have this, there's this wonderful Bible app called the YouVersion Bible app. If you've downloaded a Bible on your phone, it is most likely the YouVersion Bible app. We post all of our notes on the YouVersion Bible app for you to be able to follow along with us this morning. So if you have your phone, you're welcome to, um, to follow along on the YouVersion Bible app. All the scripture will be on the screen as well. A few years ago, I read a book entitled The Cross and the Prodigal, written by a man by the name of Dr. Kenneth Bailey. Dr. Kenneth Bailey grew up in the Middle East, and so he's able to talk about the Bible and stories in the Bible in the, the context of the Middle Eastern culture. And one of the things that Dr. Bailey does so well is that he is able to pull things out of Bible stories that I don't see as an American because of culture. And so when I read The Cross from the Prodigal, I fell in love with the good news that God has for us known as the gospel. And I hope today, I hope I can, I can show you that uh, because... It really is the greatest story ever told. The thing I love so much about the story of the prodigal son is that I don't know if there's a better story in God's word that using, using characters, using people that um, really it's a, it's a fictional story that Jesus told because Jesus told it. But I don't think that there's a better story because it's, it's true. So even though it's fictional made up people, it's very true because Jesus is telling it and it's told in order to explain the gospel to us. And there's not a better story that explains God's love for you and for me than the story of the prodigal son in a very real practical way. That's why I love the story of the prodigal son. In Luke chapter 15 verses 1 and 2, we discover the reason why... The reason why Jesus is telling the story, and this is what it says. Now the tax collectors and sinners were gathered around to hear Jesus. Now tax collectors were just as bad back then as they are today. They were bad people. They were worse because they were thieves. But the Pharisees, the Pharisees are the religious people, the, the teachers, the people in church. They muttered, the Bible says, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Who does this man think that he is welcoming these dirty, awful, no good people? And so Jesus tells them three stories. He tells them the story, a story about a lost sheep. He tells them the story about a lost coin. And he tells them the story about a lost son known as the prodigal son. So this is why Jesus is telling this story. He's telling this story to a group of religious people because they're saying, look at who these people, look at these people that Jesus associates himself with. He tells them these stories to show them how much he loves people just like you and I. And so the story begins in Luke 15, 11 through 12, and it says there was a man who had Two sons. Say two sons. Two sons. He had two sons. 
the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided the property between the two of them. Now think about what the younger son is saying to the father. He's saying, Father, I want my money. Say, I want my share of the estate. Now, if you know anything about an inheritance, you know that the reason inheritance is given is why? Because the father died. And so what the son is saying to his dad is, Dad, I wish you were dead. I want my money. And so the father, loving the son, says, okay, son, I will allow you that choice. And it's in this moment that Jesus is telling this story that he's telling the Pharisees about the heartbreak that he had. The story that Jesus is telling is meant for the father in the story to be seen as Jesus. The son in the story, the younger son in the story, is meant to be the people that are far from God. In fact, both sons are meant to be people that are far from God because they have a broken relationship with the father. Both sons do. Not just the younger son, which is the one that we always focus on because it's the one that we talk about. Like it's, it's the, it's, he's the prodigal. But the fact of the matter is, is that both sons have a broken relationship with the father. And we're going to talk about both sons this morning. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, going old school all the way back to the New Old Testament, the very first book of the Bible, it says, But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of knowledge and good and evil. If you eat the fruit, you will surely die. And this, of course, is the story of Adam and Eve that many of us know. If you don't go to church at all, you know the story of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are in the garden. They were made to live in paradise. And God says to them, you may eat whatever you want to. Just don't eat this one fruit. Because that fruit of knowledge and good and evil, that one gives you a choice. That one allows you to choose love if you want it. That one also gives you the, 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 the ability to reject love if you want it. That one changes the game. That fruit will change everything. Don't touch it. And of course, we know what happens. They touch the fruit. They don't only touch the fruit, but they eat the fruit. And in Genesis chapter 3, verses 7 through 11, it says, At that moment, their eyes were opened. And they were suddenly, they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. And so they sewed fig leaves together and covered themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man, man and his wife heard the Lord walking in the garden. So they hid from the Lord among the trees. And then the Lord called out to man, where are you? Where are you? The reason God couldn't see the man in the garden was because now their relationship was broken. And because of Adam and Eve and what they did in the garden, all of mankind now has a broken relationship with the Father. Verse 
Verse 10, he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? The Lord knew. Have you eaten from the fruit of the tree that I commanded you not to eat? Ladies and gentlemen, this act broke the heart of God. And because this act broke the heart of God, you and I are born with this nature to always break the heart of God. It's called sin. And I know that's, that's hard. Hard, to, hard, hard for me to say. So our scripture in the book of Luke, going back to the story of the prodigal son, because that heartbreak is important. The heartbreak in the book of Genesis is important because that's the heartbreak that you and I give to God because of our broken relationship, and that's really important for today. But the story of the prodigal son is also important because it's the story of hope. It's the story of going home. Our scripture in Luke said that the father had two sons. And here's a part of the story of the prodigal son that so many people don't talk about. You see, both sons, the younger brother and the older brother, they both have a broken relationship with God. The sons in the story, they represent all of mankind. So neither one of them have a relationship with the father. The younger son had a broken relationship with the father while he broke the law. While he did something that was obviously bad. While he did something that no one on earth would ever think of because he wished his father was dead. And it actually goes way deeper than that. We'll get to that in just a moment. But I want to talk just briefly about the older brother. Because the older brother had a broken relationship with the father while he kept the law. While he continued to do what was good. While he continued to do what he was supposed to do. He obeyed the laws. He did everything. Everything the father asked him to do. He would do it. He would do it. He would do it. But I want you to know, ladies and gentlemen, the older brother has a broken relationship with God, with the father just like the younger brother. In Luke 15, 25 through 26, it says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants, and he asked him, What was going on? Verse 27, The brother has come. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed a fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go inside. Now, culturally, this is where we miss a lot. See, culturally, when your dad's having a party, you go to your dad's party, especially if important people in the village are there. And so in this village, all these people are there, not because of the son, but because of the father. And that's really important. They're there at the party, not because the son's doing, but because of the father's doing. Because the father has now successfully achieved a relationship with his son, and his son is home. And they are celebrating the father, not the son. We'll talk about that why in a moment. 
But the brother is outside and he's so mad. He's so angry because his dad that he's done all these good things for, he's checked his list every day, every Sunday he's in church, every morning he reads his Bible. He wears the right clothes. He doesn't drink alcohol. He checks his list. He checks his list. He checks his list. But yet he still has a broken relationship with the father because he doesn't go inside. And ladies and gentlemen, that culturally was a public slap in his father's face. You see, the mayor is sitting inside the house and he sees this family and he's going, where's your older son? Where's your older son? And the father does something unthinkable. Because the father, for the first time in the story, or for the, actually this is later on in the story, so it's the second time in the story, he humiliates himself, he leaves his party, and he goes out to talk to the son. That was humiliating to the father. But the brother never comes inside, and that's the greatest tragedy in the entire story of the prodigal son. That one son, son is restored, but the other is not. I don't know if you remember the reason why Jesus is telling this story. But let me remind you. In Luke 15, 1 through 2, now the tax collectors and sinners were gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees, the religious people, they muttered, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Ladies and gentlemen, the older brother in the story of the prodigal son represents the religious people. He represents the Pharisees. Because there's nothing that you can do. There's nothing that you can do to earn the love of God. And that's good news. That's good news. Because if it were up to me for my salvation, I would be in trouble. Because I know how bad I am. I'm glad no one said amen to that. And so, we see the older brother has a broken relationship with the father that is never restored. But we see a beautiful picture with the younger brother. The younger brother does make things right with his dad. So how does he do that? The younger brother had privately humiliated the, the father. You see, it was behind closed doors that the younger brother said that I want my inheritance. I wish you were dead. And he privately humiliated his father. However, what he does, the Bible says that he squandered his living. He, he, he squandered his living with, with um, wild living. And what that means is that he took his estate, he sold, sold it all, and then he took the money and he wasted it. Now, what's really important for you to understand 
is that when he wasted the money that he sold his house for, he probably sold it for less than what it was worth in order to get the money. And so because of that, he now has driven the property value of the entire village down. And because he's driven their property value down, now the entire village is mad. And the whole village is mad that he would go off and squander his living or his his earnings with wild living. And so culturally, again, we miss something else. Because culturally, because of what he did with the money, when he comes back to town, something is waiting for him known as the Kazaza ceremony. You can you can Google that. Fact check anything I have to say today, please. The Kazaza ceremony is the story or is is the ceremony where the entire village would meet him at the gate. They would have this this clay pot and they would throw it at his feet. And it would shatter in his face. And they would yell, so and so is cut off. They didn't even use his name. Because back then, names were the sons of Zebedee, right? The son of so-and-so, the son of so-and-so. The reason they don't use his name is because he's because of his broken relationship with his father. So they don't even use his name. And so they, they say so-and-so is cut off. In other words, don't do any business with him. If you see him in public, don't talk to him. Shun him. Keep him away. I can't help but to think of his brother, who again never comes home. And I'm sure he would have led the charge to the people meeting him at, at, at the gate, saying, stay away. And unfortunately, churches, religious people, we look at people like the prodigal son and we say, stay away. You're not welcome here. But I want you to know this morning, loud and clear, that you are welcome here. And so, this younger son, in Luke 15, 17 through 20. What happens is, the Bible says that there was a famine in the land. And because of the famine, this younger brother is, he's, he's desperate, he's starving. He's starving. He's desperate. He's instantly regretting every decision that he's ever made. I should have never told my dad I wish he was dead. And in verse 17, it says he came to his senses. How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and I will say to him, listen to what he says, what he's going to say to his father. He doesn't say this. He's thinking in his head. He says, I will go back to my father and I will say, I have sinned against heaven and earth and you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants so that. So he got up and he went to his father. 
And that's the beginning of verse 20. We're going to get to the rest of that in a moment. Three things he says. I have sinned against heaven and you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. At this moment, he says, you know what? I'm going to go home and I'm going to earn my father's love. I'm going to do what I have to do to make it, to, to pay him back. But ladies and gentlemen, what he did not know was exactly how much his father loved him. He did not understand that he always had his father's love. So look at verse 20. It says, so he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, I can stop right there. Because we all know that there are some of us that are still a long way off from God. Come on, somebody. We know that. So while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and he was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. His father ran to him. And ladies and gentlemen, that doesn't mean very much to us in the English culture. In Western culture, it means nothing. But in Middle Eastern culture, it means everything. And the reason for that is because culturally, men, especially men his father's age, did not run. Think about it with me. What did men in Bible times normally wear? They would wear robes, tunics. And so in order to run, any woman knows in order to run in a dress, you got to pick it up. And you got to run. And you have to expose your legs. And so in this moment that his father runs, it makes all the difference. Because his father publicly humiliates himself for something that his son had did privately. He publicly humiliates himself. And now, remember the Kazaza ceremony that I was telling you about? Now, instead of the entire town going and meeting him at the gate and breaking the plot, pot in his face, instead of that, everyone in the town is there waiting for him to get there. And instead, when his father runs, they look at his father and they laugh. <laughs> look at that clown. He's rushing. <laughs> and he gets there and he sees his father. And I want you to see what now the son says to him. Father, the son now changes his tune. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servant, quick, bring me the robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and the sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and let's kill it. And let's have a feast to celebrate. For the son of mine that was dead is now alive and he was lost and he is now found. So they began to celebrate. Ladies and gentlemen, the son now knows because of the humiliation of the father that he could never earn the father's love. And in that moment, in that moment, he goes on from going to say, 
I have sinned against heaven against you. I am no longer worthy to become your son. Make me your hired servant. In that moment, he knows that he can't earn it. And so he says, I've sinned against heaven and you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Ladies and gentlemen, the only thing that can heal a broken relationship is a changed heart. The only thing that can heal your broken relationship with God is your changed heart. It's not going to church. It's not the things that you do. It's not the checklist that you make. It's heart change. We say all the time at our church, at the, at the, here in our, amongst our team, we say that heart change can happen in a second. But life change happens over time. All it takes is a second to make your heart right with God. That's it. So why would you do that? You see, the humiliation, humiliation that the Father took on is the same humiliation that God took on for you and for me. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3 through 6, it says, He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquitted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised, and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his trouble were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. Are you out there still? That's good. He was whipped so that we could be healed. And all of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own and that the Lord laid on him all the sins of us. We have gone on to do our own thing, try to make it our own way. We've tried to get to God on our own, by ourselves, by the, the things that we do. But what we miss is that God is loving us the entire time. And all he needs is a heart that is changed. And later on in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10 and 11, it says, But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. And when his life was made an offering of sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hand. When he sees all that has accomplished, when he sees all that it has accomplished, all of the, the, the anguish, all of the, all of the sin on his son, Jesus, and then when Jesus would later on come back and rise from the dead and putting it all away, this is what we see. We see that God will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteousness servant will make it possible. Jesus will make it possible for many to be counted as righteous. We talked about that last Easter. Go back on our website. You can listen to the, to the message. My righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted as righteous. For he will bear all their sins. 
the tragedy of the prodigal son is that the older brother, representing the religious, never mends his relationship with his father. But the beautiful thing about the, about the story of the prodigal son is that the prodigal, representing the worst of the worst, representing the tax collectors and the sinners that the Pharisees were complaining about, that he is the one that made things right with God. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus is always, always willing to welcome you home. John 3.16 is a verse that you all know. Even if you go to church only on Easter and only on Christmas. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he came back to life and he changed everything. In 1 Corinthians 15, 21 through 25, a guy by the name of Paul wrote, So you see, just as death came into the world through this man, Adam. Remember Adam? We talked about him just a few minutes ago. And how they ate the fruit. And so because death had entered through him, just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone belongs to Everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. Ladies and gentlemen, when you make your heart change, when you give your God your, when you give God your heart, when you decide to make things right with God, that's when you will be given a new life. And it's nothing that you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to get it. Because when Jesus rose from the dead, it made it possible. So do me this favor, um, bow your heads, close your eyes with me, and we're just going to reflect on the words that I have spoken today. This last week, I was at my in-law's house, and I noticed on their, on their shelf, on their bookshelf, a book. Written by a beautiful soul by the name of Billy Graham. I love, I love listening to Billy Graham. And the thing I loved about Billy Graham so much was that Billy Graham had a knack for taking something so deep and making it so simple. He made the gospel able to be understood by all. And the book was a book called Nearing Home. And as I was reading the book, Billy Graham, he said, people live life preparing their homes. They, they build homes, they build nice homes, they remodel homes. If he knew what DIY was, he would have thrown that in there. People prepare their homes on this earth. And then Billy Graham asked a simple question that I want to ask each and every single one of you today. And the question that Billy asked 
in his book was, are you preparing your eternal home? Are you doing what you have to do in order to prepare your eternal home? Ladies and gentlemen, the only way that that home is in heaven with God is if you have a relationship with him. Because if you do not have a relationship, meaning that your relationship with him is still broken. And you can sit here and say, but I didn't break that relationship. That was Adam and Eve. I'm sure you did something yesterday to break that relationship. If you're anything like I am. And if you have a broken relationship with God, that home cannot be in heaven where you will be welcomed. doesn't matter what you've done. You'll be welcomed there. And so, this morning, I want to give you the opportunity to change your heart so that it is back to where it belongs, at home with God. So I'm going to ask you a question. Do you want that? Do you want that? Now I'm going to ask you to be brave for just a moment. Sometimes all it takes is 20 seconds of bravery to change your life. As brave as you can, if you want that this morning, I just want you to, very simple, everyone's, everyone's heads are bowed, everyone's eyes are closed, no one's looking around. I just want you to just simply just, just raise your hand so that I can see it. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Anybody else say... I want to change my heart back to where it belongs with God. Anybody else? We're not moving on yet. Thank you. So here's what I want to ask us to do. I know, especially on Easter, it's, uh, it's fun to be reminded of all that God has done. And by the way, before I get ahead of myself, if you raised your hand this morning, we're going to say a prayer in a moment. But at the conclusion of that, that card that was on that, that terrible piece of paper, there's a piece on there that says, I committed to follow Jesus for the first time. We want to know your story. We want to celebrate that. So just... Write that down, drop it in the black box, or give it to us at Get Central. But especially on Easter, I like to be reminded of the prayer that I said when I was five years old. The prayer that changed my heart with God. So I'm going to ask everyone, everyone in the room, to repeat, repeat this prayer out loud with me. Say, God. I come before you knowing that I do not have a relationship with you. Knowing that I have broken that. And God, I'm tired 
of being broken. So I ask that you would receive me at home with you. Make me new. Change my heart. And help me to live for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you stand with me and give God a hand for what he has done today? Come on, somebody. Let's go. Come on. We're going to sing a song and we'll be dismissed. Enjoy your hand.